chapter 28, verses 1 to 26, so you can go ahead and find that. This is session 4, God warns, and we're looking at God offers grace to the humble and brings down the proud. So, here we go. If, you're, if you have a book and you're looking at the book and you're going, wait, yeah, session 4 doesn't match. Session 4 in the book is from Matthew, it was... The birth of Christ, it was supposed to be for Christmas. And it really has nothing to do with what we've been studying. So I'm like, why are we... I don't know why they do that. It's like, it's Christmas. We've got to do something about Jesus. It's like, why? So I cut the lesson out because we're like four lessons behind anyway. Or some such. Uh, so we just cut out session four, which is with Matthew something or other. So we're doing... This is session four for Ezekiel. Um, it's actually session five in your book, so right. if you've got a book, flip to session five. Okay. So they'll all be misnumbered anyway, because I don't like their numbering system. It doesn't make sense. You don't like five after four? Or? No, no, no. I like they, they keep going. So rather than doing unit two, session one of unit two, they just keep going. It's like session eight of unit two. And it's like, well, if this is unit two, what happened to the first seven sessions of unit two? The logic doesn't work for me. So I just renumber them. Anyway, Ezekiel chapter 28, 1 to 26 this morning. We're going to look at, um, we're going to talk about being humble. And we know that the New Testament, um, Paul talks about it uh, quite a bit. So does Hebrews and, and the like. But here it is in the Old Testament. Ezekiel's going to deal with it this morning. Here's the question. What is the difference between confidence and pride. The difference between confidence, I'm a confident person, and I'm a prideful person. What's the difference? Where you, where you place your confidence. Okay, where you place your confidence, okay. If you know that confidence might fail you. Okay, confidence might fail you. The focus is on... Is on the wrong place. <laughs> focus isn't on you. Okay, the focus isn't on you. So if I'm confident, is it about me? No. 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 But if I'm prideful, that's about it's all about me, right? Yeah. Okay, so the difference between confidence, having confidence, knowing I can do something. You ever see you run into one of those people, they're just so confident, they just show up, they walk up and they just do it. And you're like, wow, you made that look easy. Yeah. Whereas the prideful person tends to be all boast and amazing, gather around, check this out, watch what I can do, and then they fail, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's often what happens. Mm -hmm. They're reading the new book, Humility and How They Have Achieved It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And God's going to take issue, and we'll see how that plays out. Um. But we're in, in chapter 28, so we were in 20 last week, 28, so let's do a little background and, and catch up in those chapters, and um, I'm going to warn you now, it's going to be sad, it's going to be sad, just get out your tissue, it's, it's going to be sad, it's a warning, chapter, chapter, wow, chapter, chapter, listen to me. It's the new numbering system. It's that new numbering system. Chapter 21. Well, it could be worse. We could do this Hebrew style, where it's just one large scroll with no chapters and verse no, numbers. No punctuation or anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we're just looking yeah. at it. Let's do it this way. <laughs> All right, chapter 21. God is drawing his sword against Israel, and it's going to fall three times. So this, in this chapter, God is pronouncing judgment on Israel, and it's going to fall three times. It's referring to... The three um, sets of captives that are going to be brought to Babylon. So that's all taking place in chapter 21. Chapter 22, Israel is guilty of shedding blood. God lays out this whole argument about how the leaders of Israel were, they just left dead people. They were killing their, their fellows. They weren't treating their fellow Israelites properly and all that. The law outlines, like you're not allowed to charge interest to, to your fellow 
Israelite, you're supposed to you make the make the the um, Sabbath year or the year of Jubilee. You're supposed to give them their stuff back and all that, and they weren't doing it. He lays all that out. Chapter 23. The north and south kingdoms were whores. I mean, if you really want to read a chapter that really is, um, yeah, it, I mean, he's pretty descriptive in there. I mean, it'd be rated R at the very least about how they were whores with idols. And he's very descriptive. Um, and then God will treat them as such. You want to be whores? Okay, I'm going to make you whore, all right. And uh, he describes the whole scenario of what their captivity was going to be like. It's very graphic. Keep going. Chapter 24. This is where the siege of Jerusalem starts. And this is the sad part. God comes to Ezekiel and tells him, I'm going to take your wife. She's going to die. And God tells him that this is going to be a sign to the people of the fall of Jerusalem. I'm going to take your wife and you're not going to mourn. You're not going to put sackcloth and ashes on your head. You're, you're, you're not going to do any of that. You're going to go about your regular life like nothing happened. As an example to the people of the way God is going to be over Jerusalem falling. And the people are outraged because he's not sad that his wife's died. Why are you doing this? And he is explaining that God is taking his bride, Jerusalem, and he isn't going to worry about it. He is not going to be upset that Jerusalem fell, that he's going to be upset over the whole thing. And so there's this, I mean, here's this guy who's been married all these years and he loses his wife and no funeral, no mourning. That, that's it, and because God commanded. I mean, this guy's already laid on his side for 390 days, and then the other side for another 90 days. He's had to eat food cooked over poop, and it isn't even good food. It's it's the garbage stuff, and now here he's going to lose his wife. I mean, you know, we all know that we're all going to die. I mean, it's an inevitability, but to have him say, God's going to, this is going to happen, um, and it's going to be like real soon, like tomorrow. And boom, she falls over and you, and you can't mourn her. So, yeah. Want to be a prophet? You want to serve God? This is sometimes the things that get called to. Wow. Then we move on to chapter 25. And now it gets ugly. Because God has begun prophesying against Ammon, Moab, Seir, Edom, Philistine. These are all countries that were around Israel. That led them into sin. That were swaying them and they were not treating Israel well uh, they came and swept up all the money and gold when the city fell and all that God's got issues with them chapter 26 he prophesies against Tyre we're going to talk a lot about Tyre this morning um, which is interesting because chapter 25 it's all these countries 26 is only about Tyre and then 27 God tells Ezekiel, write a lament for Tyre. He couldn't be upset about his wife, and now he's writing a lament for the destruction of Tyre. Tyre has a long history with Israel. And we're going to look at that in a minute. But this lament um, is... Um, very lengthy. We're going to look at uh, part of it here this morning. But as we look at the background uh, to our passage this morning, we need to read some of this. So I'm going to get somebody to read uh, Ezekiel 28, verses 1 to 10, as part of our background this morning. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, say to the ruler of Tyre, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. In the pride of you, your heart, you say, I am a God. Sit on the throne of a God in the heart of the seas. But you are a man and not a God, although you think you are as wise as a God. Are you wiser than Daniel? Is no secret hidden from you? 
By your wisdom and understanding, you have gained wealth for yourself and amassed gold and silver in your treasures. By your great skill in trading, you have increased your wealth, and because of your wealth, your heart has grown proud. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Because you think you are wise, as wise as a god, I am going to bring foreigners against you, the most ruthless of nations. They will draw their swords against your beauty and wisdom and pierce your shining splendor. They will bring you down to the pit and you will die a violent death in the heart of the seas. Will you then say, I am a god in the presence of those who kill you? You will be but a man, not a god, in the hands of those who slay you. You will die the death of the uncircumcised at the hands of the foreigners. I have spoken, declares the Sovereign Lord. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, this is, I mean, this is pretty interesting. This is the second chapter devoted to Tyre by Ezekiel. God's got a lot to say about the, the city of, or yeah, the city-state of Tyre. And, um, yeah, they thought they were, let me go back a little. They thought they were wise. Wiser than Daniel. What are they referring, what's the reference here? What is Ezekiel referring to? Okay, who is Daniel? <laughs> okay, he's one of the wise men in Babylon, yeah. Yeah. How did he become a wise man in Babylon? Uh, one of the things they uh, he asked the king to not eat all the food and, and see how things go. Okay. That's where it starts, and then what happened? He feared the Lord. He feared the Lord. Yeah. He obeyed the Lord. Yeah. He obeyed the Lord. There's one event <laughs> that really sets him out. <laughs> hmm? The lions. <coughs> nope, before the lions. The whole dream thing, yeah. yeah. The king had a dream, but he wouldn't tell anybody what the dream was because he didn't trust his viziers and <coughs> advisors and all that. And Daniel, Daniel says, well, okay, I, yeah, I can explain this. And he tells him the whole thing and explains the whole thing. And Daniel gets set up to be the chief vizier of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Which made him exceedingly, um, not popular, but... Uh, respected. Respected and well-known throughout the Babylonian Empire. Nobody, because Daniel knew the secret knowledge of the king's dreams. I mean, that's... I mean, I don't know what other people dream. Half the time, I don't even know what I dream. But yeah. here's Daniel. God gave him this knowledge. And so... The idea that, are you wiser than Daniel? This is this became a saying. I mean, that's how that's how bizarre that whole scenario was. That Daniel was just, I mean, yeah, okay, the whole vegetable thing and all that. Later on, when he's an old man, that's when the whole lion's thing, I think he's like 80 or something like that, when he's thrown to the lions. This is when he's a young man still, probably in his early 20s, maybe early 30s, but I mean, not, no more than that in the whole... It's the next king that the handwriting on the wall takes place uh, and stuff. And so Daniel is set up as the chief advisor over all the other advisors the king has. He's kind of like number two uh, in, in the kingdom. And Ezekiel is like, are, are you wiser than Daniel? Because of this. Uh, I mean, this is, do you understand the setup here? The king of Tyre is claiming to be God because he's able to make money. He's E.F. Hutton of his day. <laughs> you know, he's Warren uh, Buffett. Buffett, yeah, or, or whatever. 
He's that. He just makes money, and the money just keeps flowing. Uh, let's let's do a little. Most people don't know a whole lot about Tyre, so let's do a quick uh, little timeline history of Tyre, and uh, that'll help you understand what's going on. Okay, so here's Tyre, 2700 BC. Um, Tyre is founder. Yeah, 2700. Tyre is founded, so they build what will eventually be the city of Tyre. It's not on your timeline. This is its own little timeline. So if you're looking for this, it's not there. But you can see where 2700 is not even there. 2700 BC is before Abraham by 600 years. So this is 600 years before Abraham is, is in Ur. He's not, I mean, his great great grandfather's not even born yet. Are you talking like almost time when Noah? After Noah? Right after yeah, this is after Noah. Uh, this is this is long after Noah. Uh, and the Tower of Babel. Those, I, I, I don't get into the argument about how long all the time is. We have ways of dating things that say that these are the dates. I don't know if they're right. I don't know if time has changed. and there, There's so many issues in it that I don't care, it doesn't really matter, but the, going back, after three, you know, after you get past like 3,000 years of history, it's really difficult to know when something really happened. I mean, we don't have, the, we have records, but connecting them to other things and whether, you know, the carbon dating method actually really works that old and all that, we, I don't know. So anyway, we know that we, that's when they estimate it to be, it's about 2700 BC, so that's 600 years before. Abraham, long after Noah and the Tower of Babel and all that, Abraham's probably still, or uh, Noah's probably alive, I don't know, maybe. It's 400 years before the great ziggurat is built in Ur. They built a giant pyramid in the land of Ur somewhere about 400 years before Tyre is founded, um, just to give it to you. It's around the time that the Gilgamesh epic, if you're into history at all, Gilgamesh is, the, is an epic play that was written in the land of the Chaldeans that tells the story of creation. It's a really cool story of creation with a lot of crossovers to the uh, account in Genesis where they take a lot of the verbs, you know, God speaking and stuff, and they take those verbs and they turn them into proper nouns and they become names for gods. It's an interesting study. I, I did it in seminary uh, in, a, in an Old Testament class. Uh, and we looked at the verb versus the nouns used in these two stories. And they're very similar, which tells me that there's probably a common place that they come from and all that. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. But this is around the time of that. So the city of Tyre is old, to say the least. In the 14th century, the... Uh, Let's see, where is it? Oh, the royal palace in Tyre was built. So the, the 14th century, the 1400 BC. So that's like more than a thousand years after the city is founded, which when you found the city, it's usually just a collection of huts. Mm -hmm. It's a small little town. But by then, by the 14th century, it had grown large enough that it became a city-state. And in the ancient world, you basically however big your army was, you could control that much land and that became your kingdom. That's how it worked. In the 12th century, they had to rebuild Tyre. Then we get to the 10th century. That's when Tyre really begins to blossom. In the 10th century, they colonize Cyprus. Now, if you have your map, you can see Cyprus is just off the coast in the Mediterranean. It's uh, north and west of Tyre. You can see it in your map. Um, they became a great sailing nation during this period. They began building boats. They're part of what we call the Phoenicians. It's a Phoenician city. And the Phoenicians became the sailors of the Mediterranean. The Greeks will as well, but the Phoenicians control the eastern part of the, um, the Mediterranean. And so 
They colonized Cyprus. So people from Cyprus are probably mostly Phoenician from the city of Tyre going all the way back. Uh, let's see, what we got next? We've got 1000 BC, or no, 1100 BC, Tyre begins trading with Spain. All right, if you've got your map, you see where Tyre is. It's all the way far as east as the Mediterranean goes. And Spain is where? To the west. It's far to the west, right? Yeah. Spain is right where the Mediterranean dumps into the Atlantic. So they begin sailing the entire length of the Mediterranean to the far reaches and begin trade with Spain. This is in, what is this, 1100 B.C. So more than a thousand years before Christ, they got boats going back and forth to Spain on regular trips. That's pretty cool. In 1000, just a hundred years later, 1000 B.C., um, Haram I of Tyre, King of Tyre, gives the cedar trees of Lebanon. They were huge, massive trees to David. What did David do with them? He built the temple. This is the connection that Tyre begins to have with Israel. Haram and David become very close. And they trade with each other. And a lot of the stuff that David wanted for the temple, he bought it from Haram. Now, David doesn't build the temple, does he? No. He gathers everything to build the temple and gets his son to do it. So he's got plans and all this. Haram begins trading up and down the Mediterranean for all the exotic stuff to build the temple of God. And he gets very rich on it. Also in that year, 1000 BC, um, Tyre is the major port in the Mediterranean beginning the uh, Syro-Palestinian Region, so that this whole the whole area that is Palestine that we think of today, everything flowed into that region through Tyre. They became the shipping center of everything that would be Jordan, Syria, Israel, Gaza, all that that we think of today. It all came through Tyre. And we're not done yet. Yeah, go ahead. Did um, did Sidon kind of blend into Tyre? Because when the Jesus spoke about nope. this, Tyre and Sidon, almost yeah, they like one, they often seem like Tampa and Saint. They they do. Um, it does seem that way, but no, Sidon and Tyre were two separate. We'll, we'll talk about it in a second. Um, why that's so? Uh, let me keep going with this timeline first. Um, okay, so in the eighth and ninth centuries BC, Tyre controls. Sidon and all of southern Phoenicia. So all those other, other countries along the coast that are there, they control them. Then in 732, the king was Metina, Metina, and he, in order, he doesn't get conquered, but in order not to be destroyed, he begins paying tribute to Assyria. <coughs> Alright, remember, Syria is putting pressure on the northern kingdom of Israel, and he begins paying them tribute. Um, in 701, uh, Assyrians begin to attack Tyre, and they have problems. They get, um, not taken, but they become a tributary. They just, you know, they pay huge taxes to Assyria. Finally, in uh, what is it, 671, uh, they rebel against Assyria. They're, they're done paying taxes. They're done dealing with them and all that, which then leads to 587 to 573. Nebuchadnezzar shows up, and he begins to lay siege to Tyre as a nation. Like I said, this is just a brief history of them. So the, that's the time period that we're looking at right now. So Ezekiel is prophesying against Syria, uh, Tyre, and Nebuchadnezzar is at the beginning of his siege. But it doesn't end there. I'll tell you how the end of the story ends. Make it go away.
right, so 574, Tyre submits to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar lays siege, and eventually Tyre just, they, they, they need stuff. I mean, when you lay siege, you camp outside the walls and nothing comes in. They're a port city. They've got boats and all that, but there's just stuff you can't get. you got to get it from somewhere. And Nebuchadnezzar is ruling most of the world at this point. So they submit, and they become part of the Babylonian Empire. But that's not the end. Because we just read that God is going to do something about them. Well, here it is. In 332, Alexander the Great shows up. Now, Alexander the Great could not attack Tyre. And here's the thing. You can't see it on that map. If you get a, a more detailed, if you get a map that you can zoom in on, which is really hard to do, but they have them out there on the internet. Tyre is actually an island about two kilometers. Is it two kilometers? No, it's just a kilometer. A kilometer off the coast. So it's an island. They built the whole city on the island. Now, granted, there's a uh, uh, part of the city is on the mainland, a, a kilometer back, and they would just ship stuff back and forth, back and forth. Kind of like England and Britain, but closer together. So here's what happens. Alexander the Great shows up, and he cannot attack from the sea. So he began and built a causeway a kilometer long, 200 feet wide, um, all the way out. Can you, I mean, 200 feet wide. I mean, that's almost a football field, just a little shy. And they're filling in the ocean. So it's kind of a bay. It's a kilometer long bay. Um, it's more than two meters deep at the edge. And as they get closer to the island, it keeps getting deeper. And they're just dumping rock into this thing. And rock. a lot of rock and dirt. Yeah. Um, this causeway got to the point that they got in range of the walls. And he begins bombardment. The problem was is that Tyre is a naval um, power. Power, that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> Good job. They're a naval power. So they just sailed ships out the backside around and fired on them. Which this made um, Alexander the Great irate. So he sent from ships from uh, the Greek nations and had the navy come and sink all those ships, finished the causeway, busted down the walls, broke in, and he just killed everybody that was in the, in the city except for those that were hiding in the temple to their god. The people in the temple, he left them live, but he, I mean, he just laid waste to this city. It took him like nine months to build the causeway and take Tyre. Tyre thought that they were, nobody could ever take them. They're, they're an island nation. We've got all the boats that you could possibly want. You're never going to get us. You know, that whole nonsense. And here they are. Everything that we're going to read about this morning takes place in 332 by Alexander the Great. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Is there still like an island nation? The, yeah, it's still there. It's yeah. been it's been excavated, and they're still excavating it. It's there, but um, yeah, you'll you'll see in a second. Uh, in 64 BC, where am I? Yeah, 64 BC. I don't have. Oh, there it is. Uh, Tyre is annexed into the Roman providence of Syria. So here come the Romans. So Alexander the Great destroys it. Then they, you know, he lets those people live. They rebuild it. It doesn't become anything great. But the Romans show up and they annex it. And now they're part of the Roman Empire. And then in 1291, 1291 AD, so this, this modern era, the remaining Christian outposts, remember the Crusades? Yeah. Guess where they landed? Tyre. And they built it up as a resupply for the Crusades. Um, in 1291, the remaining outposts there 
is destroyed. And as far as I know, there's I don't know that there's anything there now. Um, but yeah, 1291 is the end of Tyre. It doesn't exist after that. So there's the history in a nutshell of the city of Tyre. This nation, um, as we're going to see in our lesson, is uh, connected very heavily to Israel because of its helping to build the temple. All right, comments or questions before we get into the lesson? That's all the background. I know, it's 20. <laughs> You're never going to make it. I'm going to try. <laughs> all right, let's go. Ezekiel chapter 28, 11 through 15. Somebody go ahead and read that to us. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. All right. What does that sound like to you? Satan. Yeah, Satan. That's what everybody assumes. And I, I, I really struggle with that. Because this is the book of Ezekiel. Who's he talking to the previous two chapters? Tired. Why would he shift to talking about Satan? There's a lot of issue with it, and there's a lot of commentary and uh, people out there that, that want to say that this is this whole chapter, right in the middle of this book, God shifts to talk, telling us about Satan, and it doesn't make any sense. Context has got to be king when you're dealing with scripture, because the context tells us how we're supposed to understand it. The context is Ezekiel is a prophet to Israelites, Jews, who were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, brought to the foreign country and forced to live, and they have constantly been asking God, can we go back home? I mean, that's the context of this whole book. And God is using Ezekiel to tell the people that, no, you've sinned against me, and until you get over being idols, remember there was a whole chapter where he's calling them whores because they chase after idols. This is all the background. And then we come to this passage, and all of a sudden, we're, we've shift gears. We've gone from first to, like, reverse to talk about Satan in the Garden of Eden. It doesn't make sense. I'm going to pass out an article because I'm not going to take up the argument and the debate. Is it Satan and this and that and, and all that? Because it's exceedingly complex. This is probably one of the most difficult chapters in the Old Testament to deal with. Because it sure doesn't sound like the king of Tyre, but it sure doesn't, but it, and it surely sounds like God's describing Satan, but it doesn't make any sense. There's no rhyme or reason for it. There's no explanation why this would be right here where it is in there. The uh, theologian who wrote this uh, article is going to take it up, and so I recommend reading it. Um, he offers historical explanation of the nation of Tyre and its religious practices and that Ezekiel's actually describing those because the king of Tyre thinks he's a god. And he's describing what happens. Uh, and I think there's a, a decent explanation there um, of this. So I'm not going to look at that. We are going to talk about the passage in a more general sense. So first off, we are in our outline of Ezekiel. We've moved on to um, part two. Um, pagan foreign nations will be destroyed. That's this, this whole section we're dealing with are these pagan foreign nations being destroyed. See what I say? Talking about Satan just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so that's where we're at. And this is about past glory. Tyre has a long history, and they had much glory for it. The, they, yeah, that should be, the king of Tyre, was appointed by God. We see that. It says it right here in the passage. He was appointed by God, which we know that to be true. It's the whole reason Paul and Peter tell us to honor government. That we're to honor the government because they don't rule without God say so. Nobody comes to power who God didn't allow to come to power. That he didn't want to come to power. And this king of Tyre was appointed by God. And he tells us that he did well at the start. He did what he was supposed to do. He followed. He was a good king and all that. But here comes pride. We became wealthy under this king. We had gold and silver in abundance. And what happens? Pride sets in. Yeah. God is going to remove this king. He removes all kings. This whole section is about how God is going to judge the kings. And God removes them. That's important. We live in a time that we all wish somebody else was president. <laughs> Don't we? we? We complain about it. I mean, it, it, it's, we got whole radio stations dedicated to it. But we need to remember, and that's... We need to remember Jonah. Jonah didn't like the Assyrians and the king of Assyria. Just wanted, he wanted them to go. He wanted to use God to do it, right? He's going to assassinate them through God. Set them up so that God will take them out. Kings get removed by God because he puts them in play. It's not our job. It's not our job to overthrow our rulers. Again, going back, Paul and Peter tell us over and over again, that we are to pray for our leaders, we are to honor them, meaning follow the rules, follow the law, until it conflicts with God. We don't look to remove them. We suffer. If we suffer persecution, we are only doing that which our Lord already did, don't we? And so it's not we get rid of the king because we're suffering and all that. Because God's the one that's going to remove him. He's going to remove this one. Well, he's talking about all kings, but particularly, um, he's going to remove this king of Tyre. I mean, that's what this chapter is about, is the current king of Tyre, and God's done with him. Because he's strutting around his throne room, bragging that he is deity, that he is the God, and that he should be worshipped, and all that. Now remember, Nebuchadnezzar's going to do the same thing, isn't he? Mm -hmm. We're going to get to the book of Daniel. And Nebuchadnezzar does the same thing, and God judges him, doesn't he? But he doesn't remove him from power. What does he do to the king of Babylon? He makes him eat grass. He makes him basically like an oxen out in the field. You think you're all that and then some. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nip your pride in the bud, and I'm going to make you like a beast of the field, and that's what he does to them. In this case, God's just going to remove the king of Tyre. Um, quick question. Why does success... Open the door for people to see a person's true nature. We see this all the time, don't we? People climbing the ladder and those underneath of them, they think he's a nice guy and all that, and then all of a sudden he becomes a manager, and you see his true nature, don't you? Mm -hmm. Why does that happen? Go on, Cindy. Well, it's pride for one thing, but it's money. Money. Money, money is power. 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 Say they relax into their position and let their true colors show. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's true. Once they don't have all that over them, yeah, they they become they can be who they want to be. You know, they say absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say that that's not true. They're already corrupted. It just gets released because they have absolute power. No authority over them. If you will not bow. If you are God, who tells you what not to do? We're struggling with this right now in our society, aren't we? 
We have thrown out God. And so who determines what's moral and what's not? The government. The most powerful person. The most powerful person, yeah. Right now, right now it's government. I, I, I would uh, beg to say that it will probably be corporations mm -hmm. before long. Go I, think, on, I think people in general are feeling is determined that as well. You know, well, I feel this or I feel that, and that's... Like, Right, well, that's how they determine it, because we've eliminated any true authority over us. I mean, that's what happened when the, when the settlers came to America for, for fleeing religious persecution in the old world. They were very conscientious of Scripture and God and morality from that. But we have sloughed it off, and now we're questioning those moral values. It was never acceptable to be gay. And now, okay, well, maybe it is okay. Maybe it, it or, and, and, I mean, we're pushing the envelope right now with pedophilia, aren't we? Well, it's just a little different. How many more years before they're going to make that legal? That it isn't about consenting adults. It's just, uh, well, yeah, who, whoever can get, who, uh, it, it's okay. That's where we're going because power gives us authority or we think it gives us authority and that we decide and that's just not the way. What makes success a difficult thing to handle? Why is it that when we are successful, we become that way? Why, why does that happen with people? Do you think fear has something to do with it? Like the fear of losing it all? Could be. They don't figure they need God anymore because he's already given them whatever they need. I, I think that's the case. Once we're successful, we don't need God anymore. I think that's how we ended up with this whole idea that being poor is more godly. I don't think so. The problem is I don't think that most of us can handle being as rich as we want to be either. And that this is what happens. And so that struggle to make it keeps us humble before God. I don't know if you watch Fiddler on the Roof. I love that movie. <laughs> Reptavian, would it be so horrible in a whole cosmic sense if I was, a rich man. was just a little richer? <laughs> if I had, it was, no, probably not in the cosmic sense, but probably in your soul. Reptavia, if you were wealthy, you wouldn't be the man that you are now. Because for some reason, when we become successful, we don't think we need God anymore. There's some food for thought. That'll take you all week to chew on. <laughs> but we're not going to stop there. We're going to keep going. All right. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 16 through 19. Somebody read those for us. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, in the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I expose you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst that consumed you. And I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. All right, see, here we go again. Some of this stuff, yeah, it kind of sort of sounds like it might be Satan, but some of it doesn't make sense for Satan, does it? Yeah. See, this is, and the lessons that we're pulling out of this really have nothing to do with Satan, do they? And so there's, there, there's just so much to this. Again, I recommend reading the article and wrestling with it yourself. There may not be a good answer. It may very well be both, and we just don't understand how yet. It's possible. All right, moving on. So here we go. Rebellion is denounced. Now, we know God denounces rebellion over and over and over again in Scripture. I mean, we see it all the way back in Genesis where the rebellion of Sodom and Gomorrah are denounced. Israel, as we come into the whole part of Exodus through Deuteronomy, 
How many times do they rebel against God and God denounces them and punishes them and all that? All the prophets in the Old Testament, whether it's Israel, Judah, or one of the other nations, rebellion is denounced. That's how we keep lining this up with Satan because that's this whole the whole thing with him. Was he rebelled against God? Well, he's not the only one. The whole world is rebelling against God. And so God proclaimed that Tyre became prideful. It wasn't just the king, it's the whole country. And we're going to see it when Alexander the Great shows up and they basically stand on their walls and stick their tongues out at him because they thought, you can't get to us, we're on an island, a kilometer from the shore. No, we're not going to submit to you and your army. You can't get to us. That's their attitude, though. But anytime we become powerful, that's what happens, right? I run the company now. I started in the mailroom, climbed myself up, and now you're all going to suffer under my wrath. And those that were in my way, I'm going to crush you. Demoted. You thought you were some manager and you were an idiot when I was under you and you wouldn't listen to me. So now you're back to being the bootlicker and not the manager, right? That's what happens. That's a, we consider that a normal part of doing business, right? What is it Trump always would say? You're fired! <laughs> yeah, because he's in charge. He's the powerful one. That, that's how we act. Pride made him sinful. That's what it says. Made Tyre sinful. Pride is what made Satan sinful. So, I mean, again, we're, we're looking at that going, eh, maybe no, maybe not. Let's face it, pride makes us sinful. The fastest way to get a guy to, to sin is pride. Pump him up. The city will be brought down by God. It is not Israel's job. It's not Ezekiel's job to go and collapse Tyre, is it? God's going to do it. God is going to bring judgment on whoever's going to be judged. It's not our job to judge, is it? Whether it's our own government or not. It's our job to follow and do what he's showing us to do. And it isn't going to be this, because God's going to make it obvious that he's causing this sort of stuff. Alright, so, others are going to watch in horror. See, now this is one of those. Nobody watched Satan fall, did they? There's nobody there. We don't know exactly what happened, do we? See, but this, God tells through Ezekiel, you're going to watch Tyre fall. And so now we're back to talking about the city. And they did. People watched this city of Tyre, all its trading partners in the Mediterranean. How do you think they felt? Oh, who are we going to trade with? Because Tyre, being on the eastern edge of the Mediterranean, guess what? They were bringing all the spices from the Middle East to all those European nations. They were bringing the wool and all that stuff that comes out of the Middle East. Uh, what do they call it? It's uh, they found it. Cashmere, silk. silk. Silk would come from the Far East. They had people in, in Europe didn't know where it came from. But it would come all the way across on land in caravans, be loaded on the ships in Tyre, and it was being transported throughout what would be what is Europe. All that Greece, Italy, all the way out to Spain. And from there it would go north into what would be France and Germany. I guess some of it made it to England eventually, but I mean, this was the trading post. This had to be some serious money. Yeah. Yeah, it's serious money. What makes arrogance and pride so dangerous? It takes your focus off of God. Well, it takes your focus off of God, which gets God's attention, doesn't it? Yeah. He zeroes in on countries, on nations, on people that are thumbing their noses at him. Yeah. As a nation. As a nation, yeah, you'd be right. <laughs> yeah? So how do we avoid that? Stay focused on God. Yeah, honor God. See, when King Hiram was in charge of Tyre, he was focused on 
God because he was trying to help David. He became friends with David. David essentially evangelized him, and he saw the glory that God had in the nation of Israel as David was conquering everybody. God was so honored under David. Hiram's like, I've got the trees you need. I've got, I can get you the other stuff. And they built a partnership, and Hiram was there the day Solomon dedicated the temple to God. And he saw the glory of God take up residence in it. And all this, all this happened. And then here we are, these years later, Israel quit following God, didn't they? That's what they're being punished for. But guess what that caused to happen? Tyre quit. I don't know that they worshipped God, but they certainly paid him homage. They recognized him as God and did their bits for it. And now, well, well, who's that God? We don't care about that. Now the king is saying, I'm the God. Look at how much wealth I've got. I'm powerful. See, you're understanding what's going on here. And I think we're in the same boat, aren't we? America, well, we, we were this poor, scrappy, little nothing country, and we built and gained wealth and power and more wealth and more power, and we won two world wars and all this stuff, and we became obsessed with ourselves. We don't need God anymore, do we? We're the God. We rule this world. We, determine, we send our politicians and people shut up and listen and do what we tell them, right? Yeah. How do we avoid it? We've got to keep our focus on him. <coughs> Comment or question? See, that's what this chapter's about. I don't know that it's about Satan. I really struggle with this. All right, Ezekiel chapter 28, verses uh, 20 through <coughs> 26. The word of the Lord came to me. Old man, set your face toward Sidon and prophesy against her. And say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Sidon, and I will manifest my glory in your midst. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I execute judgment in her and manifest my holiness in her. For I will send pestilence into her and blood into her streets, and the slain shall fall in her midst by the sword that is against her on every side. Then the Lord will know that I am then they will know that I am the Lord. And for the house of Israel, there shall be no more a briar to prick them or a thorn to hurt them among all their neighbors who have treated them with contempt. Then they will know that I am the Lord God. What verse am I going to? 26. 26. Thus says the Lord God, when I gather the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered, and manifest my holiness in them in the sight of the nations, then they shall dwell in their own land that I gave to my servant Jacob. And they shall dwell securely in it, and they shall build houses and plant vineyards. They shall dwell securely when I execute judgments upon all their neighbors who have treated them with contempt. Then they will know that I am the Lord of God. All right. See, there's this whole shift right here. Talking about Satan. Now we're talking about Sidon. Context. The, the whole context of this passage just doesn't fit it. I know that there are many guys out there who will teach about Satan from this passage. It just doesn't seem to fit. Again, read the article. I think <laughs> they make some good arguments in there. Going both ways with it. We have this, thus says the Lord. So this is not Ezekiel's interpretation. This is what God said to Ezekiel to tell the people. So this is these are the words of God for as best that we know. I mean, word for word. When I gather the house of Israel from the peoples, there's a lot of future stuff here, isn't there? Mm -hmm. As we look at it. And as we look at this, I think that there's stuff that hasn't happened yet. Um, Israel hasn't been securely, that they're going to they're gonna dwell in the land that God gave to Jacob securely. Has Israel been secure since 
Babylon captured, took the captives and all that? No. No. Actually, it's, it, it, it's just a few hundred years and Rome is going to conquer them and wipe them out after Jesus comes. They certainly weren't secure in Jesus' day. Were they? No. And then after 90 BC, or 90 AD, everything's wiped out and destroyed. Israel didn't exist again until what, 1964? No. 1948. Or 48, you're right. That was the war. And they weren't, they're not, they weren't secure then, were they? No. And they're certainly not secure today. No. I mean, there are constant rocket attacks and, and everything. So they're not secure. So has this really come to transpire yet? See, I think this is where some of what he's talking about is, is reaching into the future that we read about in Revelation. Like the millennium or something? Well, I don't know that it's necessarily the millennium, um, but it's a time that hasn't come yet. Uh, I'm not sure. And then some of it, some of it we don't understand because it's not the time yet. What it does is it stirs hope. This is their hope for the future, and they cling to it, don't they? Especially the Zionists. That there's going to be a day that they're going to be restored, and I, and, and I believe that. There, there will be a day they will be restored, and God is going to do this sort of stuff. Israel will no longer be mistreated. Well, that hasn't happened, has it? There's going to be a restoration, not just of the physical kingdom, but of the people worshiping God, which we don't see that happening today, does it? They're all about restoring Israel, but only as a nation and a power and seeing God punish everybody else in the world. It isn't about them coming back to God. They, see, they don't even recognize God really right now. There's the ultra-Orthodox and all that to do, but as a people. And then finally, this will happen... Because of God's judgment. This happens because God judges all the other nations. So what does that tell us? We're in trouble. We're in trouble. <laughs> no, it's something that's future, which when we start looking at Revelation, and God begins judging everybody, is this, is this a reference to that time? See, Ezekiel didn't have the book of Revelation to look at. And we start looking at it and going, Hmm, maybe there's some connection there. So look it up. Look at it. Study it. It's always good to study scripture. Ask those questions. What is God doing? I don't, I, we're, we're heading towards the end. We know that. And there's great hope that at some point the people of God are going to come to him, which means coming to Christ, doesn't it? There will be a mass turning of them. They will finally recognize their Messiah and all that. I don't know where it happens. Before the tribulation, during the tribulation, after the tribulation. Is it mid-trib, post-trib? Is it in the millennium? Is it? I, I have no idea. I don't have those answers. I know it's going to happen because it hasn't happened yet when it's prophesied here in Ezekiel. And John has given us all sorts of stuff at the end. And there is hope for them. But it isn't for us, is it? This is to the nation. The context are the captives from Jerusalem there. They're being told there's hope. So there's hope for them. Quickly, any comment or question before I give us a couple of things to think about? Like I didn't give you enough already, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, three things to think about this week. A person's true character will be revealed in time. Your true nature, your character will show up and be revealed to everybody around you at some point in time. Maybe when you become a husband and how you treat your wife. Maybe when you become uh, a property owner or you become the employer instead of the employee or you become the manager instead of the managee. Somewhere you will gain authority and power and your character is going to be revealed. <clears throat> Secondly, selfish pride leads to sin and judgment by God. That is an absolute, just like gravity works. If you give in to your pride, it will lead you to sin. And that sin will bring God's judgment on you, unless you repent. And lastly, grace is found in repentance. 
That leads to holy living. You want to live a holy life? It's got to start in repentance, which means you've got to give up your selfish pride. When you change your character, is going to need some change. And the only way to change a character is with the aid of the Holy Spirit and listening to him and following his lead. So let me pray for us. Lord, as we go forward this week, I pray that we would listen to your spirit, that we would be motivated to give up our pride in whatever area it may be in. Lord, that we would find your grace and repent so that we can live the life you would have us to live in front of others. Father, we, we thank you for the grace that you offer. In Jesus' name, amen.